Welcome to the NSCHBC EDGE podcast, leading the way in the business of medicine. Now here's your host, Terry Fletcher. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the NSCHBC EDGE podcast. I'm your host, Terry Fletcher. The EDGE podcast is brought to you today by the National Society of Certified Healthcare Business Consultants. Our goal is to discuss healthy business principles, have conversations on the business side of medicine, so that you and your practice can thrive, be profitable and successful for years to come. This week on the EDGE podcast, I welcome fellow NSCHBC member, Mary Kay Hunt, and she is out of Coastal, North Carolina. Mary Kay is a nationally awarded speaker, executive coach, and provides customized training and development programs to organizations and associations throughout the United States. Mary Kay has customized over 1,000 training programs, including modules with communication, conflict resolution, customer service, human relations, leadership, patient experience, presentation skills, work-life balance, and team dynamics. And I got to meet her in our January, kind of we call it a consultant's retreat, uh, in our winter meeting uh, in Arizona. So Mary Kay, welcome to the podcast. I'm so happy you're here. Oh, me too, Terry. Thanks so much for this opportunity. Oh, it's great. So our topic today, which I'm actually excited about um, for our listeners that are out there, I got to listen to Mary Kay in January and you seriously cracked me up, girlfriend. <laughs> you were so, so awesome and the, the coaching you did. And I usually don't go in for all that raw, raw stuff, but you were so professional, but you kept it so positive. And I, I'm telling you, the way the world is right now, we need that. And Absolutely. so I was really happy to hear that and, you know, how we're dealing with the current climate uh, of staffing shortages in healthcare. They call it quietly quitting. And sure. I think some, yeah, some staff are just getting spring fever. So I'm excited to kind of have you talk about how to motivate. I think you call it the keepers and weed out who's not on board with the company um, and who doesn't have company vision. Sure, absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting because a lot of people that, you know, get into healthcare originally, they want to make a difference. They want to help people. And, you know, certainly the climate over the last three years, it's been challenging. It has. And, you know, salaries got to be competitive, but also, you know, we've got to manage the workload. And I think that's been interesting to see the difference between the hospital sector and private practice sector is, you know, workload can have an impact no matter what the competitive pay may be. I think so too. And I think the one thing I think people miss and correct me if I'm wrong, because in your space that you're, you and I are in such a different space, I'm in pretty much revenue cycle management auditing. And I know you're, you're more in the, in the corporate end of things, but money isn't everything. I mean, obviously if you pay less than the rest of the market, and if you're not making up for it in other areas, that's going to be felt. But I feel like when you have the ideal mix of people, money is a part of it, but it's it's not always the focus. Is that correct? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, I was, I was reflecting back when I was a dental assistant working for my father's practice eons ago, and he couldn't afford to pay me anymore. So I said, well, just give me a half day off, you know, just give me a little <laughs> exactly. extra time. So sometimes it's being creative, but, you know, we have to ask people what they need or what they may want, because if we're not listening to them, then we're going to miss a mark potentially of having, you know, retainment in our employee base versus people leaving because we haven't even asked them what they need. Well, it's funny you said that because years and years ago, um, before I was an independent consultant, I worked for a very large general surgery group. And they had put wage freezes on, but like you said, they said, but we're going to give everyone an extra half day off a month. And mm -hmm. back then I had a seven-year-old, you know, so pediatric yeah. visits and sports events and things like that. 
and it was just so nice to to not have to worry about taking that half day whenever I wanted to, you know, Absolutely. so that was helpful. Yeah, that was Well, helpful. and it's interesting. I went to Savannah a few weeks ago and met a travel nurse. And, you know, as he was sharing with me how much he enjoys traveling and, you know, the triple pay he's getting, I looked at him and I said, you know, it's great for you, but there's a lot of people that can't travel. They have to stay in their hometown. In fact, one of my good friends that I grew up with and we played soccer together, she's an emergency room nurse, and she was sharing with me, you know, Mary Kay, we're getting a little resentful because we've got these travel nurses coming in, making two, three times what we're making, and some of them are getting even better shifts. So for the hospital sector, we need to be very cautious and careful about that because, you know, we may not even be aware how we're offending, you know, our long-term team members that are really um, in a position where they can't go anywhere else. Well, you actually brought up a really good point. One of the things I've noticed in some um, organizations and practices is that they think that not just the payment, but maybe if there's a bonus or reward system, they think it's it shouldn't match the business, that it's a one-size-fit-all. Is That seems to be farther from the truth. Oh, absolutely. And I don't know, Terry, if you've heard of the book, um, The Five Love Languages, but they actually have created one um, of appreciation in the workplace. Because Oh. let's say for you, Terry, you might want more time off, right? Well, that's quality time. Well, another employee, they might not want a certificate of achievement. They might want more time one-on-one -on -one with their boss. Right. I mean, so that book really kind of enlightened me on how, again, we need to talk to the team member. We need to talk to the departments and see what's important for you for rewards and recognition or, you know, what would that appreciation look like? Well, it's interesting you say that because it, it almost sounds like what the AMA has done with trying to um, get rid of note bloat in the E&M services. They're trying to make it personalized to that patient today, not a generic statement. And, you know, bringing it back to the employment climate, it seems like that's a very similar concept, you know, trying to make it personal to that staff member. Well, and, you know, I, I just have to share this. It's on my heart. But, Terry, there's this whole philosophy of business that, you know, the customer slash patient always comes first. Yes. And then probably 15 years ago, I started buying into this new concept of, you know what, let's put the team members first. Because if the team members are first, then the patient, then the customer, they benefit because the team's happy. And, you know, I know that sometimes we're handcuffed and there's things that we can and can't do. I get that. But I think, are we willing to try and really explore? And, you know, one of our bullet points that you mentioned was, you know, giving employees the tools to do their job well. And years ago, when I was uh, director of patient and family experience at a hospital, What was interesting to me is some of the administration would walk around and give out candy. And now, now look, It's kind with of cool, my dad, though. I love that. I well, and with my dad being a dentist growing up, I didn't get a lot of sweets as a kid. So I was digging it, right? But, you know, but there's a thing called purposeful rounding that nurses do, right? There's like, the four key things that they check. Well, there's things that leaders can do to be purposefully rounding with their employees. And, you know, if they'll ask, I, I use this ac acronym called RUN. Okay, so R is for relationship. Get to know the people that are working for you. U is understand. We got to know people's challenges. And we also need to understand, you know, what where they excel and what is going well for them. And then that N is kind of a needs assessment. You know, are we understanding the people dynamics that they're, you know, dealing with? Are we understanding processes that might need to be tweaked? And, and are we really measuring and evaluating the performance? So I use the RUN acronym <laughs> if you want when, you know, if you really want to be purposeful in connecting with your team members. 
I, I actually love that acronym, but you, you brought up a good point because I was dealing with something yesterday, actually, and you talked about getting to know your team members and, you know, giving them kind of the tools to do their job well. Um, I was meeting with a manager from one of my clients, and it's a very big client, over 100 physicians, and they just hired a new manager in the, um, it's called billing director. But she's in the hospital sector, and she has never right. been in the physician sector, and I was like, uh-oh. And very nice gal, but she also, they hired her remotely, The my clients in San Diego, and she's mm. in Chicago. And wow. she's going to have to manage over 50 people and also over 100 physician, you know, trying to figure that out. And I appreciate remote work, but to me, it's it seems like it's getting harder to know your people if they're remote. Are you finding anything about that? Oh, absolutely. Um, there was a, a client I worked with every month. We did a one hour success series and some were based in Wilmington, but you know, the rest of them were all over the United States. And we brought that up is how do we build relationships virtually? And I got to tell you, Terry, um, my gut says that if, if this new manager, this new leader, if there's any way she could do a three day on site visit and do, you know, get belly, belly, eyeball to eyeball with people and just interview them, ask key questions, get to know some of the physicians. If she's willing to invest that time and they can help her do that, it's it's going to make a huge impact. I agree. I made the same I made the same suggestion. I was just like, you're going to really need to get to know people because you're going to have so many different personalities and specialties and et cetera. And the tools to do your job well. So again, I was mentioning I was in the revenue cycle management. I can't tell you how many... <laughs> How many times I'll get a question from somebody, and this is what I'm here for, so I'm not being flip about it. I'm just, um, sure. it's just, it, it's tough sometimes to think that our staff, our employees, who we need, we have shortages out there. We need you guys. Um, and they're not given the tools to be successful. You know, they get outdated code books or um, they're not, you know, one thing that she was slated to do was she has to create a compliance program. And mm -hmm. I said, do they have anything now? And she goes, not that I've seen, so I have to start from square one. And she goes, and I really don't know where to start. And so to me, that's setting somebody up to not fail, but not be successful for what you need. And I'm thinking there, can, there could be some disengagement there. Sure. Well, and it's not empowering them with a competitive professional advantage. And, you know, the code word that we could all use moving forward, if we're not listening to our employees about needs, is Southwest. I mean, look at Southwest Airlines over the holidays. You know, their employees have been saying for years that the computer systems were antiquated. Oh, and right. over that season, I mean, there were like 12,000 flights impacted. And the leader is an accountant mindset. He's a numbers man, which, you know, can be a blessing, but it can be a curse too if you're trying to, you know, maximize revenue. But it was a system that was broken. And then the former owner of Southwest who started it, he was an operations guy, kind of boots on the ground. So we can all learn from Southwest is are we empowering our people and giving them the tools that they need to succeed? It, you know, it's interesting because there's also something that I've I've noticed that seems to be lacking in some of the conversations with employees, and that is showing them, you know, kind of how their roles connect with the company's purpose and yeah. goals. Um, yeah. I know I've heard you talk about this as well, but how do you show the employees that their work is meaningful and it's contributing to what the company's mission is? How, how do they do that? 
Well, I think it it has to be specialized based on their contribution. Uh, for example, you know, if you if you're going in and, and let's say you're telling an, a nurse team to do a procedure differently or a protocol differently, and you're not telling them the impact it's going to have on the patient experience or the impact it'll have on you know the financial bottom line, we've got to really help people understand why we're doing what we're doing. And, you know, the other thing, too, that's important is I think sometimes if people don't really know what the company mission or vision is and how their individual thumbprint, if you will, will complement it, enhance it, transform it, then we're missing a mark. And I was up in um, Ohio last week working with a, a mental health facility and you know, I shared with these people genuinely the perception I got walking in the patient door and I threw down a challenge. I said, I want each of you next week to walk through the doors that your patients go through and tell me, is it inviting? Does it look like the kind of place that's welcoming and then it's caring and giving? Just, you know, give me your perception. And here again, I think sometimes we get blinders on to to really what the vision, what the mission is. And each person there, you could tell their dedication to their field, how much they cared about people. But sometimes, you know, we get kind of in the weeds and we don't really think about what the patient or the team member is experiencing. Yeah, no, I agree with that. If you don't know where where you're going, you don't know how to get there. So you have sure. to kind of have that information. You know, one of the things that I, I feel like over my, I've been in the industry 30 years and was an employee for the first, uh, I would say 15 to 20 um, one of the things I noticed that we didn't have that I feel like, and you bring this so perfectly to the table, is the positive reinforcement of recognizing people, not just for mm -hmm. their team accomplishments, but the, for their personal accomplishments that contribute to the company's success. And I say that only because, to, to, a perfect example, but it's really funny to me. So my daughter's a high school uh, teacher in Arizona, and she just started coaching at the varsity level for softball. And she played in college, so she's so excited. Oh, but not, awesome. Like, she's so happy. She loves her girls. She's so happy. They're losing games but she because it's new, but she loves it. <laughs> And she's like, I just love my girls. I wish we could just win a game. But the one thing that she was excited about the most was she she got a sweatshirt that said coach on it. She got her Aww. name on, I know, on the max preps list that said, you know, Summer Kaufman, you know, her married name, um, you know, uh, head coach. And I think especially with millennials and, and millennials that are out there listening, we love you. And so we're trying to also help you out too, even, even um, you know, the Gen X and the, you know, all the different generations. But I think people miss sometimes how people need to feel like you acknowledge their existence in, in, a, in a positive way. Are you finding that? I, I think people miss it. I like it too, you know, so. Absolutely. And you have to look at the individual culture. Um, each organization may see coaching as a, as a positive, um, or they may see it as a negative based on how uh, people were treated. You know, when I went to work as um, director of patient and family experience, I asked my VP of HR, I said, can I, can I have a new title? Can I be patient experience coach? And I thought it would be great. I thought it would good, you know, it was going to be awesome and different and new. And well, I didn't realize that their whole culture, um, their view of coaching was punitive. Oh, and I mean, nice. so I was working backwards from the get go. But but here's something about coaching. Um, coaching isn't trying to solve people's problems or have all the answers. What coaching really is, 
it can be encouragement. It can be redirection. It can be affirmation. It can be, you know, inspiring somebody to believe in themselves or to deal with a challenging situation because working in healthcare is stressful. And, you know, my sister was an oncology nurse. Her husband was an oncology pharmacist. And I mean, there's, there's moments of life and death for sure, but there's also moments of frustration and headaches and I think whenever we can try to look at the positive in a situation, it's going to be a blessing. For example, I want everybody at the end of the day, don't focus on that one patient or that one team member that I like to call as terminally unique. Didn't matter what you did. They're not going to be happy. Just- I love that phrase, terminally unique. <laughs> That's awesome. See your positive spin. Absolutely. But you got to focus on all the people you made an impact for. And when I used to do dental consulting years ago, you know, it was amazing how the dentist or how, you know, a dental assistant, they'd get all bent out of shape because one patient was upset. And I'm like, but you had 70 other people come through the doors today that you made a difference with. And it's what this really is, Terry. Sometimes we've got to shift our mindset. We got to look for the positive in situations because if we're not careful, all we'll see is negative or all we'll see is frustration. Well, and I was trying to explain this to a physician one time, and I think I made my point when he said, can you just come in and shadow? I really don't know what you're talking about. I know you're saying I, I need to kind of lift up my staff, that they're just feeling very, you know, unmotivated and everything. I said, mm-hmm. just say thank you once in a while. You've got Absolutely. several staff members, yeah, that have worked for you for 10 years, and have you ever just walked by their desk? And, you know, I like the candy per thing, but, you know, just said to them, um, you know, thank you for what you're doing. And he goes, I don't think I have. I said, let's try it today. So I shadowed this physician and he's very gruff. He very, very skilled physician, but just very tunnel visioned on basically what he does, not on what his staff is doing. And so I said, let's walk into the business office. He goes, they're scary. I'm like, they think you're scary. And so he he was laughing when he said it, but he walked in and this one gal who'd been working for him for a dozen years, he didn't know her name. And I'm like, I know. And I said, that's Candace. And so he walked in, he goes, okay. He's like, Candace, how are you today? And she looked up and she looked so startled at just the fact that he, he acknowledged her existence. And she goes, I'm good. And he goes, you know, I don't think I've ever asked you, do you, you know, I've seen, I see photos on your desk. Do you have kids? And she's like, yeah, I actually have three. And they had this brief conversation. He, he asked her a couple questions. He's like, well, I don't think I've told you this before, but I appreciate everything you do for this practice. And she's like, thank uh, you. Amen. That's oh awesome. My gosh. Well, she cried. She was like, oh my gosh. Sure she's she, never she was in early the next day. She was working on a project. I've never seen such a pep in the step of any staff member ever just from that brief acknowledgement of taking an interest in not only who she was personally, but thanking her for being there and doing that. And he goes, okay, that felt pretty good. And And you know, it's interesting because Mary Kay Ash uh, of Mary Kay Cosmetics, her company philosophy was that every person you meet, I want you to pretend that they have a sign around their neck that says, I'm the most important person in the room. And if we'll just invest you know, what was that, two minutes that this physician invested to get to know another team member by asking a couple of questions. And, you know, people want to feel important. We all have a need to feel important and appreciated. Right. Well, and it was funny because um, he had an x-ray tech that absolutely did not like him, but Mm. he needed the job and he was very, the tech was very clear with me that he's just mean. And so I said, hey, do you know that your tech basically color-coded and card-stocked everything in your x-ray department and and he basically without his organization you'd be a mess right now and uh, one of your um, 
colleagues from a different office came over to see how he did things and they're mirroring what he does because it's so well done. He's like, you're kidding me. I'm like, no. So he said something to the staff member. He's like, he goes, hey, he goes, your organization skills I hear are stellar. And he, this doctor was had a booming voice and he goes, does everybody know here what, what Jay does? He goes, oh my gosh. And he just told everybody and Jay goes, oh my gosh. Well, okay, that was cool. Well, maybe he's not so bad. See, it just, it totally changed yeah. his feelings. So, well, and that was words of affirmations. Okay. Which is yeah. one of the love languages. It's also quality time, acts of service, tangible gifts and physical touch. Right. Cause if you hear good job, that's really empty content. You need to tell them what about the job made it good, right? right. You take it to the next level. And, you know, a, a good attaboy, a pat on the back, I mean, acknowledging someone's contributions can be measurable. Just saying thank you is a, is sure. a huge, huge deal. You know, every once in a while I'll get something from a client and I'll be like, oh, where'd I get this from? And it comes with just a sweet note saying, you know, we can't tell you how much we appreciate your efforts and, and everything you've done for our practice. And I'm just like, wow, that, that was just very kind. And so there, those, like you said, those affirmations. And it's funny because you never really think you need them. You know, I, I'm not somebody that wants somebody, you know, basically every day doing that. I'm just like, okay, enough already. But, but <laughs> there are days well, because I work remotely that it is nice yeah. once in a while to get that thank you. So I did a team retreat a couple of weeks ago and we did an appreciation exercise. And what, what I asked each team member to do on an index card was to write their name. And then under their name, they wrote, I appreciate you because dot, dot, dot. And then they had to pass the card around so that they didn't have their own card. And then I asked them to think about the person's card that they had in front of them. What three qualities, characteristics, personal, professional traits do you admire about that person? And then share why. And it was powerful to hear the feedback that these people gave to one another. There were some tears, there was some laughter. And, you know, the exercise took minutes, but minutes of appreciation verbally and written can be amazing. So Mary, I have a question on that. Do you, do you feel that the, um, the feedback on that, whether it be male, female, um, non-binary, did, did you get the men that actually <laughs> engage? Do they, do they participate in that kind of stuff? They do. do um, they? I did okay, this, yeah, I did this exercise at a community college a few weeks ago. I was working with a city municipality and, you know, I think um, now, granted, there were some people that used more words. <laughs> and, <laughs> okay. um, so, so that is typical. Yes. But, you know, I, I think, too, you have to give people an example. Um, because I think then they know what to look for, which is why I think a lot of leaders that are naturally uh, good at giving feedback or giving coaching, they need to help coach other people on how to do it. Because some people, you know, excel in delivering that, that corrective action or delivering that encouragement or appreciation or even instruction. But some people they really don't do it well and it's negatively impacting relationships and performance. So now we've talked about how to, you know, do all this positively and everything, but as we know, reality is there's not, and not everything is positive. Sometimes you do sure. have to talk to um, an employee and really have a constructive critic criticism conversation. How right. do you do that with 
I don't want to say in a positive light, but making it so you're not getting somebody posting to LinkedIn saying, I hate my boss. How? Absolutely. But, but, but they still understand that they've got some improvements to make because it seems to me that a lot of employees nowadays, um, and I'm, I'm just saying this in a collectively what I'm seeing out there, I'm not saying anybody in particular, mm -hmm. it seems like they don't want any negativity at all. And you can't really grow unless you find some of the things that maybe you aren't doing correctly. You, you need to know. Absolutely. We got to have feedback, good, bad, or the ugly. And, you know, typically in the workspace, if we keep it simple, we've got high performers, average performers, and low performers. So there's going to be a different coaching style that we need for each of these. And, and the two main ones are directive and cons consultative. So here's kind of the difference in the two. If we're going to be directive, we've got to state expectations. We need to be clear in our direction. We need to discuss consequences if something doesn't change. We may need to allow for some autonomy and some intervention. And it's really about focusing on performance improvement. That, that's a directive style. And we're going to use that with our high performers. We're going to use the directive style even with our um, employees that you know might have a low commitment, uh, maybe a low competence. This is our low, our low performers. But we're going to use the directive also for, you know, maybe our employees that have a low commitment but high competence. And these could be the ones that are kind of disengaging. But here's the thing about consultative. That's really for our high performers. And that's questioning, right? We're consulting with them because we want them to feel like that they're part of the solution. They're part of the contribution. We might be collaborative with them, make suggestions, you know, and oftentimes it's helping them focus on development and challenges and maybe eliciting their ideas. So as we're coaching people, the key here is you just got to be real. And if it's a sensitive topic or if it's something that maybe you've even experienced, I know that when I've made major errors, if I'll open up to the employee that I'm coaching about a time when I made a mistake, it really helps them to understand that we can learn from them, that we can continue to improve. So I think we have to calibrate our coaching slash conversations to each person and situation. I agree. And, you know, one of the things just in, in kind of bringing this a little bit full circle, one of the things I've noticed with coaching and managers trying to have conversations with employees and, and think that they're being constructive is they try to do it through um, nonverbal means, through emails, through text. And I'd love your feedback on that because we don't know tone on those kinds of mm -hmm. communications. No. It, it, and I mean, for me personally, I'd rather be on a Zoom and see someone's face or sitting down across the table from them. If we're going to send an email to someone or a text, that is so cold and we can't read the emotions. And kind of the rule of thumb for me is if I go back and forth three times on a text or an email, we need to pick up the phone or we need to schedule a meeting. And, you know, the other thing, too, is once you send that email, once you send that text, that's toothpaste coming out of the tube for communication. You can't get that back. So we need to be very cautious about what we're sending out as far as reprimands or, or you know, directions or, you know, anything that could be misinterpreted by the receiver. I agree. Now, do you have a recommendation for the workforce that has in-person versus virtual? Because I'm sure there's ways of handling that completely differently to keep people motivated. Well, I mean, again, it just comes back to the dynamics of, of what you have to work with. I mean, I know when when I was working with um, another group, 
they were having more success when they could at least have an in-person meeting, you know, once a quarter. And in fact, last week I was talking to a gentleman that used to be a client and he said, Mary Kay, I'm going into the office twice a week, but our team's just disconnected because everybody's still remote. We're not required to come into the office. You know, they said we could come in once or twice if we wanted to, but even when I get in there, it's empty. So, you know, it, again, it comes back to the individual organization to depend on what the, the culture and what the leaders are saying. But if you want to grow relationships, try to be in person, try to be on camera and Zoom if you can. It's so much better than an email or a text. Well, and I'm going to put it out there too, and, and feel free to, to correct me if you think I'm wrong, because I mean, this is your platform. But one of the things I noticed, and this to me, it just goes back from I mean, even babies at birth, even people do like structure. I mean, even though they don't want to be necessarily micromanaged, you know, with people every minute saying, what are you doing? How are you doing it? They do like to say, so if you're going to have days in the office, everybody comes in on Tuesday, or these are your hours and your parameters, you, we need to see you working. Because I think then you you can either, you can meet those expectations and then anything above and beyond. I'm noticing there's a lot of employers that, that are a little bit too loose with that. And sometimes when you don't have specific expectation or rules or guidelines or, you know, anything to really, um, I guess, go by to make yourself mm -hmm. successful, it, it kind of makes the employee feel a little lost. Absolutely. And, you know, what, what was coming to my heart when you were sharing that, Terry, is that for the for the organizations that are continuing to do remote, I just ask that you do a team huddle once a week, once every two weeks, a team meeting that way. And everybody's got to have their camera on. Everybody needs to participate because that's the only way that you can really build camaraderie. Okay. And, you know, same thing when it comes to really building a strong um, bond with someone, I'm going to receive the information much better if it's in person. So if it is something that's, you know, whether we're asking for feedback or whether we want to, you know, celebrate a job well done, anytime it can be in person, I just believe in my heart it's going to be better. Me too. And then the last thing I, I wanted to bring up because I know our listeners are interested in this. So let's say everything we're talking about is really working. And I know some people call them the A and B players. You know, everybody's playing nice in the sandbox. Mm -hmm. But then you, you have that, and I hate to use a label, but a C player, somebody who is just negative just by nature and right. so it's it's tough sometimes because they bring down the people who are really trying to to stay positive and stay focused and and you know show their meaningful work how does a business manager and, and how do you talk about that person i think they call them squeaky wheels you know yeah or eeyore yeah when do you finally <laughs> just cut the cut the cord or when how long is it your responsibility to really try to change their personality or their outlook so they say that it takes three to four weeks to create a new behavior. And I am a huge fan of giving someone an opportunity, you know, whether you call it a performance improvement plan or coaching conversation, whatever, you know, however you, you prefer to do it. But when we look at low performers, we got to help them focus on that big picture. We need to partner with them and give them key metrics on what we need to see them improve, whether it's mindset, negative talk, productivity, you know, we've got to be specific with goals and timelines. And also um, we need to give them suggestions and we can't wait because just like you said, you know, a negative employee or a toxic employee or an Eeyore, they can bring everybody down. And, you know, one of the um, examples that, that really hit home is 
there was a woman who was tremendously negative that I used to work with at the hospital and she was the main receptionist in um, patient rehab. And finally, I just, I had to call her out on it one day because I was starting to shut my office door. And I was like, hey, can I share something with you that, you know, I shared with the directors and managers the other day? And she's like, yeah, sure. And I said, I just sense that and hear you being negative a lot after you hang up with the doctors or with the patients. And long term, that just can't be healthy for you. And she's like, well, I just get it off my chest and roll on. And I'm like, well, that's kind of the problem because I'm hearing you. And, you know, it was interesting. But when this person left the workplace, she had a very negative, toxic relationship with her husband. He was an alcoholic. He was abusive. So when she came in, it was almost like her safe zone. But she was purging all her negativity. And so watching the interactions kind of change, you know, I would have conversations with her. I'd go in and sit down for a few minutes and ask her how her weekend was and helped her decorate for the holidays and brought her Chick-fil-A one day. And, you know, she started feeling valued. And Terry, what was interesting to me is her boss who had worked with her for six years, six years. She never said good morning to her. She never said goodbye to her. There was really no relationship there. And she came up to me and she's like, what did you do to Wanda? I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, what, what did you do to her? She's like a new person. I said, I haven't really done anything. I'm just having conversations with her and being interested in her. And this is actually a Dale Carnegie principle. So if you haven't read How to Win Friends and Influence People, I, I really, that's one of my top 10 books. And it's show genuine and honest appreciation. And, you know, these are human skills that give us a business edge. So we can never underestimate the impact of training and development, even if it's for communications, leadership, human relations, because that's what's going to distinguish us and set us apart. Right. No, I agree. And I I think that I'm glad you did that. It sounds like um, it really turned, you know, her attitude and hopefully her life around for the big picture. I mean, I realize there's going to be some people that you're just not going to bring out of that, but um, hopefully for the most part, if you at least make the attempt, I think that that's really what, what you're talking about there. And, and, you know, Terry, if we have to let that Eeyore go, my hope is that they're going to use that as a learning lesson as a catalyst to transform, because if, yeah. it's, if it just doesn't work out over a th- 30 or 60 day um, time frame, it's time to let them bloom somewhere else. It's funny you used Eeyore because every time um, I see podcast numbers that are great, I post it to my Instagram account and I use the dancing Winnie the Pooh. So <laughs> <laughs> It's funny when I see I'm like, I I can totally relate to what you're talking about. So that was funny to me. Well, I, you know, Mary Kay, this has been awesome. I know we could talk on this topic all day long, but this has just been great. And, uh, you know, your wealth of knowledge on this topic is just so important for our listeners, especially with the current state of staffing shortages and healthcare and just what we need to do to retain talent. So thank you so much for being here. Absolutely. Thank you, Terry. This has just been just a true wonder and a pleasure. Thank you. To contact Kay, please go directly to nschbc.org website, click on the Find a Consultant tab, type in Mary Kay, and it's M-E-R-I-K-A-Y, Hunt's name, and you'll have her contact information. Also, as a reminder, the nschbc.org website offers monthly free webinars on a variety of topics, as well as a quarterly Medicare update, and I actually just presented one this last week, and it's still available on demand. Also, our annual conference is now open for registration on the nschbc.org website. 
That's it for us today, everyone. Please join us next month in May, where I welcome NSCHBC member and marketing consultant Carl White, where we'll talk about Google and SEO presence for medical and dental practices. So everyone, make it a great day, a great rest of your month, and thank you for listening to the NSCHBC Edge podcast. My name's Terry Fletcher. Thank you for listening to the NSCHBC Edge podcast. Join us on the second Tuesday of each month as our consultants tackle the complexities of navigating the business of medicine. You can reach us on the web at nschbc.org, the National Society of Certified Healthcare Business Consultants.